Thanks for coming back to Pelham Place. Welcome to any new listeners. I know it's been a while since I've released an episode, but I fully intend on keeping this podcast bus rolling. So please hit subscribe, rate the show, and leave a review if you could. Uh, They say that the ratings and reviews are the big factor in uh, podcast algorithms. So if you rate and review the show, I'll keep putting out episodes. Deal? My guest today is Kawan Glover. Kawan and I recently met through a Facebook group related to podcasting, and I immediately knew that his story needed to be shared. Unlike my previous guest, Kawan and I have no history other than the five-minute conversation that we had right before I hit the record button. Kawan's new book is called Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. Kawan takes us through the events that literally changed his life forever. We talk a little bit about the difference between empathy and sympathy and why he says that his vulnerability is his superpower. So please take the time to listen to this episode. Then don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. If I was doing even better, there were two of me. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome, man. It's good to uh, to have you on here. Let's just get right into it. Your new book, uh, Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose, is available now through Amazon. Can you just give us a, uh, a synopsis of the events that led up to the release of the book? Yeah. So actually, this is part one of a series uh, that I'm going to make. So this is the first part. And I had... Uh, a stroke. I had three brain surgeries. I dealt with a lot of mental health issues, including depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, and opioid addiction, uh, stemming from some of the stays in the hospital, stemming from my environment and the things I dealt with growing up. So the book really encompasses the first part, more about the physical recovery, and the next part is going to focus on more of the mental and emotional recovery. But there was a little bit in here that I feel like the message for the book is simple. It's hope. It, it, it really encompasses the theme that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Right now, times are dark and uncertain, but the sun will rise no matter what's going on. And I like to say to people when I talk to them that the darkest night often comes before the brightest morning, but your morning is coming. So that's what this message is about. It's about me finding my morning sun. That's, that's really uh, cool, man. I, you know, I think that, uh, one thing that when I first saw, uh, your story, I, I immediately in the title of the book, stroke, struggle and surgery. Um, I immediately, immediately thought that, uh, you, you had a stroke first, but then as I started reading more about your story, it wasn't the stroke that caused all of this, you were actually diagnosed with something else before that, correct? Yeah, and so actually it's interesting because a lot of people think the stroke and then everything else happened afterwards to recover from that. Well, it's actually, I had a brain surgery first in August of 2014, August 15, and it was discovered after in sort of, a serendipitous moment where I was with my mentor working in an office and I had slowly over that summer of 2014 started to lose my balance, lose ability to speak. And these are symptoms that would normally lead to a stroke. And in that moment, his wife came downstairs and said, you need to go to the doctor at this time, because I was 20, I didn't care about my health. I still had a pediatrician 
Um, so I went to see him and he did some neurological tests. And one of the things he did, he asked me to do was hold your hands out in front of you. And when I did that, my right arm started to drift. And he was like, immediately, you need to go to the hospital. Fast forward six hours later, they said, you have a lesion on your brain. And in my attitude at the time, I was like, okay, fix it. And then they sent me to another hospital and they did an MRI, one of the most interesting experiences I've had in my life, my first MRI. But after the MRI, they said, they came out, I came out, they told me, hey, you have a cavernous malformation. And again, I was like, okay, fix it. And then it was like, no, we're actually going to send you home to monitor. And then, uh, you know, things are worse, come back. And within a couple of days, things got worse. My balance is off, vision was blurry. So we went, I came back to the hospital and operated. And then I returned to school a week, one week later after brain surgery, which was a egregious mistake <laughs> looking back on things. Mm-hmm. And then a month into school, that's when I had the stroke. Wow. And, and so... Before all of this, you were a high school and collegiate athlete. You were active. You were a scholar at the University of Maryland College Park, president of your fraternity. Uh, pretty safe to say you were you were active. Your body was used to a very active 20-year-old lifestyle, right? Yeah, and what I learned, I want to say last year, is that the mass had probably always been there since birth. And because of the stress or whatever environment I was operating in and operating at that high frequency all the time, I just created the perfect condition for the mass to burst. So, yes, I think that keep going, push forward. That's actually on the back book cover that, you know, that mentality of always moving forward, no matter what, ignoring injuries to to be more successful, be more ambitious. Actually, was a double sided sword, which led to me having to slow down and even after the surgeries, I continued to move forward and try to move fast and that did more damage than help. So, you know, moving forward, I continued to have the mentality, but it was the stroke was the most, one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had in my life. Because like you said, I was an athlete. I was active. I was ambitious. I was striving to do better all the time. And it just, when it first happened, it's like losing half of your body. And as a man who prided himself on being athletic, being active, that was really detrimental to my confidence, to my mental state, to my emotional state, to my spiritual balance. It really just threw me off kilter for a long time. What was the process that you went through um, when you finally started that realization that you had to slow down to allow everything else to to catch up for you to to find that balance it is interesting because i didn't even after the three surgeries there were pockets of realization i would have for example after the stroke towards the end of my recovery and rehab we went out to an uh, event we have an outing so you can see how you operate in society and i was in line one of his tasks is handling money so one of the guys in my group was on the front of the line working with the cashier, and there was another lady, and it was me. And as he was having a little bit of difficulty exchanging currency, I heard the lady just let out a huge, like, ah, like she was being inconvenienced, like she was tired of getting frustrated that he was taking so long. And one of the realizations I had from that was, like, was I that person? Did I view people that had impairments or difficulties the same way that I see them as the other or the 
the inconvenience in my life. And there were little pockets of realization that way. When I had developed an opioid addiction after the second surgery, um, there is a, so in the second surgery, I had gotten introduced to fentanyl and purchased it. And those are pretty, oh, fentanyl is like heroin on steroids. Mm. And when I got out of the hospital, I was taking fear set. It was a, a different thing for headaches and stuff, but I would become like a fiend. Like I needed it every hour on the hour, things like that. So when I got back to school, the physical pain wasn't there, but the, there was like an emotional hole. And I found prescription for Percocet in my drawer looking for a pen. And I continued to, I filled it and abused it. And, you know, there was a time when I come to the end of it and I just flushed all the pills and all the cough syrup and things I would take in cold turkey. So that was one of the realizations that I could do that. A lot of people don't have it in them to cut things cold turkey. So I'm thankful that for that development, but it, Realistically, I didn't realize I needed to or accept the fact that I needed to slow down until about 2019 towards the end. And that part isn't covered in the book. That will be in the next book. But, you know, you know, Jay, it wasn't until August 22nd of this year, which was about two weeks ago, that I can actually sit down and look at myself and say, hey, I feel whole. And it's not about the physical recovery it's about everything else that weighs so much on you the mental the emotional the spiritual recovery had finally reached the point where i can accept everything that happened to me because it wasn't about me i went through all of these things and had these challenges to benefit the lives of others by sharing my story and my testimony absolutely man absolutely um you you mentioned that exercise um about handling money and it, it perfect lead in for my next question. And this is something very recent. I think either, uh, I think it was two nights ago, you hosted a live stream on your uh, Facebook and you discussed empathy and how many people mistake empathy for sympathy and vice versa. Um, can you explain the difference between the two? Okay. So here's an example. It's a quick story. Let's say you're walking with your friend, right? And unbeknownst to you, there's like a hole in the ground and you fall into the hole. There are two different types of responses that exemplify what sympathy and empathy are. Sympathy, if your friend employs sympathy, they look down the hole and be like, wow, I feel really bad that you fell down the hole. Empathy is like, your friend probably fell down a hole or can imagine what it feels like to be in the hole with you. Like, I feel your pain as you're feeling it in this moment. I understand why you would feel like that. And I feel bad for you. I feel bad with you. That's the difference. Sympathy is feeling for for someone or about you, feeling a certain way about something that happened. Empathy is you're feeling with that person, with and for. That's the main difference. And sympathy is not bad. It's just not empathy. Right. Got you. Got you. Um, I've been listening to a few episodes of your, your podcast lately. And, uh, one of the things that, that I really like about your message is something that you say, uh, about yourself. And it's that vulnerability is your superpower. Um, 
And there's one episode of the podcast that, that really highlights that. But explain to the listeners how you take something like vulnerability and flip it into your personal strength. You know, a lot of people view vulnerability as a weakness. But in order to get the truth out of other people, allow them to feel safe around you, allow them to to build relationships. I think when building relationships is one of the most powerful things on the planet. It's one of the keys to wealth, in my opinion, um, keys to success, in my opinion. When you share your story openly and you have no fear of what the other person or what people will think about you, it's almost you're developing invincibility. Like that's why on the episode, the eight mile approach where I'm just like, I'm in this book, in my journey, in my story, whenever I talk, I'm putting all my flaws on the table. So no matter how hard you pick at me, I've been harder on myself or I said things have done things to myself that you can never do. So all that's being laid on the table, laid bare. So you have nothing negative to talk about because I already said, I already exposed it to the world. And that gives me power. It gives me a sense of strength. And that is why vulnerability is my superpower because I'm no longer afraid or shying away from the opinions of others because my story is my truth, my story, and I'm sticking to it. Absolutely. And you mentioned the eight mile approach. Obviously, that was the episode that I was referring to of your podcast. And for people that are listening and have seen the movie Eight Mile with Eminem, uh, you will know the scene that that this comes from. It's during uh, the big freestyle battle towards the end of the movie. And Eminem is up against the best in the room, but in a typical rap freestyle battle, it's all about dissing the other person. Find all their flaws, get all their flaws out there because that's what's going to break them. And so Eminem flips it and basically just freestyled about every flaw that he had, whether it was the color of his skin, the color of his hair, his height, the way he, anything. He, he laid it all out on the table and there was no way that that other person can come back with anything that was going to hurt Eminem. And so I, I love the way that, that you took that, that eight mile reference and created the eight mile approach for yourself because it, it speaks volumes. Absolutely. I think, again, it's just, you're taking control of your own narrative because you're not afraid to put your story out there. And I believe everybody, and I don't, I mean, everybody, any, any one of your listeners has the story they can share and empower themselves and others around them. So I implore you to embrace vulnerability, to embrace empathy and just be your authentic self and try to and, and, and implore the eight mile approach into your life if it fits. Definitely. Definitely. The book is called Favor, How Stroke, Struggle and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. It's available now through Amazon. Kwan, explain favor. What is favor? Yeah, you think about the word favorite and it seems like maybe someone's picked you like out of a crowd to be the one that's uh, anointed or chosen or whatever. Um, favorite is a spiritual concept to me, which is you find yourself in situations that there isn't any way out of and somehow or another you found a way out of it. 
you know, when I was in the second surgery, October 1st, 2015, I had a dream and the dream never changes no matter how many times I tell it, no matter who I tell it to. And then um, in the dream, this is after I went under anesthesia for the second surgery, I woke up and I was standing in a hoodie and a jean jacket and I'm back to my boxing days. I'm throwing punches and I'm like, wow, everything is working. My body is 100% working. And it begins to rain. And the rain is like black, like cold. But I stick my hand out and the rain's not touching. So I float, I start to float up and lose my human form. And at this point, I'm watching a dream from two different perspectives. Point of view, and then I'm watching a painter's canvas. And on this canvas, the rain is falling and I'm floating up. And right before I get to the top, there's like a hand. I don't know what to make of this, but the hand pushes me back down. Everything goes into reverse and I wake back up in the hospital. And there was a voice that hit me and it said, not done yet. And I woke up and I'm back in the hospital. I'm back to my life. But I'll say all that to say, it's almost as if favor is divine intervention. intervention. And, you know, my grandma always says that she's the reason for the title of this book. Favor ain't fair. It's just favor. You know, you're just chosen to for a higher purpose. And I'm not saying I'm better than anyone or anyone's lesser than me. I was just chosen for this divine purpose. You know, I often say, used to say, why me? Why does this happen to me? This isn't fair. But then when I made the real, the final realization is what I used to ask myself those questions. And then there was an answer that somehow came from somewhere else. And it was just like, well, why not you? And then another question was, well, if not you, then who? And then I started to understand that what happened to me was not only for my benefit, for my growth, but it's more so for the people who read this story. This story is for your listeners. This story is for the world. It inspire hope and change to understand that when times are dark, when challenges arise, when adversity strikes, sometimes you have to crack to let the light in. Things that are meant to be for you will come when they come. It won't be sooner. It won't be faster. It'll come right at the right time. So favorite is the mind's invention. That's that's the simplest way I can put it. And it comes when it wants and when it needs to be there. You know, it's funny because I, I, I think about the word favor at its basic use of the term. And it's when somebody comes to you and says, hey, can you do me a favor? That's them choosing you. There's a reason why they came to you to do that favor, right? They're choosing you because they either felt like you would be the person that could best do whatever it is they need, or that you would be the person that would say yes. Maybe it's a favor you don't like, but there's a connection between you and that person that might just make you go, yeah, I'll help you out. I'll do that favor for you. So that your grandmother's quote makes all the sense in the world. It's not always fair. It's just favor. And the way you described this now, Jay, I think that is the best interpretation of favor I have ever heard in my life. And I've never thought about that way. I, I really think like, it, it, it kind of makes sense based on what I was saying, but it's the way you said it, it's just, it feels better. Like 
someone asked me to do this and it may have been a favor that I didn't want to do, but it ain't fair. It's just favor. Wow. Kwan, how do people connect with you? Yeah, so I'm pretty accessible. You can contact me via email, overcomeadversitytoday at gmail.com. You can DM me on any social media platform. That's Facebook. Go join um, my Facebook author page that I just started. Uh, That's Favorite the Book. So that you can find me there. Uh, You can DM me on Facebook. My personal page is Overcome Adversity with Kawan. Uh, Twitter, Kawan underscore Glover. Instagram, Kawan Glover. LinkedIn, Kawan Glover. Pretty much everything is Kawan Glover. So if you want to reach me, just Google my name, K-A-W-A-N-G-L-O-B-E-R. And I'm sure something will pop up and I'd be more than happy to talk with you. Kawan Glover's book, Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. It's available now through Amazon. Kawan, thank you so much for coming on today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope that we can really get this message spread. It was an honor to be here, Jay, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just humbled to be invited on. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. Let's keep in touch. Uh, I think that there's, there's more that we can talk about down the road, and obviously you're going to have another book in your future uh, very soon, and, and we should definitely make plans to talk about that as well. Absolutely. If you want to connect with Kawan on social media, just search for Kawan Glover or Favor, the book, and you can find the book on Amazon in Kindle or paperback format. Thanks for listening to Pelham Place. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and please rate and review the show wherever you choose to listen. I'll keep working on new episodes and interesting guests. You can find me on social media at Pelham Place Show or email me at Show at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and be safe.